Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John, and I am grateful for you. Glad you're joining me here on the Bible in Life. In this episode, I want to explore a passage of scripture about which there has been volumes of stuff written, like commentaries and scholarly articles and lots of wrestling. There's just been tons of stuff written as scholars have wrestled with exactly what's going on in this text. But in true Bible in life fashion, I just want to offer some reflections on Based on all that study, based on my study of the text, I want to offer some reflections that might help us think through the significance of this text with regard to our own spiritual life and our own discipleship to Jesus. So, the text is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And let me just read the very end of, of the chapter. Here's how 2 Corinthians chapter 3 ends. But... Paul writes, we all, that is all of us who are followers of Jesus, we all with unveiled faces looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And so that's how 2 Corinthians chapter 3 ends. Now notice he talks about unveiled faces. He talks about looking like in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. It talks about being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. There's just a lot of language in that one verse that presupposes everything Paul said in the preceding bits of the chapter. Uh, obviously, this is the concluding moment of some of the things he's said here, and he'll carry on the conversation in chapter four. But this well-known passage of scripture and this powerful passage of scripture about our own transformation and our own relationship to the Lord builds off of and grows out of what Paul has said preceding in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And so in order to really feel the full force of this and to actually make sense out of the idea of being unveiled or looking at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into that image, it really helps us to feel the full weight of that and the full impact of that just to understand the flow of what Paul is getting at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so let's pick up in verse 7. And let me just set the context uh, of that. What Paul is doing is he's showing uh, the Corinthians originally. They were the original audience, right? It was written to the church in Corinth, and we are therefore reading their mail. He's showing them how it is that he has confidence in his ministry, how, what makes him sufficient or adequate as a minister of the new covenant. And that's been what he said there in verses four through six. He's like, our adequacy comes from God. Our sufficiency comes from God. That's our confidence. Now, in order to do that, he's going to compare himself with Moses and the giving of the old covenant and and the ministry of the Old Covenant. And so we're just going to hit some comments, uh, hit some highlights as we kind of walk down through this. So in verses 7 through 11, what Paul does is he recalls a moment in the uh, life of Moses and the Exodus uh, generation at the base of Mount Sinai. He recalls a moment with just a few sentences recalls a whole story, and that story is found in Exodus 32 through 34. It would actually be worth going back and reading those chapters if you want to really understand what Paul is doing here, because his comments here 
are the overflow of his understanding of that story there in Exodus 32 through 34. Here's what Paul says in beginning in verse 7. But if the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory. Notice the two ministries that he's contrasting. Ministry of death, ministry of the spirit. Ministry of death refers to the old covenant. And Paul's not making stuff up. He's not just giving it a pejorative title. Now that he's become a Christian, he looks down on the Old Testament law. Not at all. Paul actually says, for example, in Romans 7, that the law is not bad. It's holy and righteous and good. So the phrase ministry of death isn't just sort of some sort of post-Christian, you know, negative feeling Paul has about the law. It's just what happens in the story. In the story uh, of Exodus 32 through 34, the Israelites have worshipped the golden calf. God sent Moses back down. Moses breaks the original two tablets that had the covenant on it. He orders uh, the faithful people of Israel to, because God wants to just wipe out all of the Israelites, and Moses is like, not a good idea. So, um, what happens is, as an extension of God's wrath and punishment, those that were the ringleaders of the idolatry, they're executed there in Exodus uh, 32. It's death. And behind some of the things Paul is saying here, you have Ezekiel 36 and you have Jeremiah 31, both of which deal with Israel in a state of death because of their her idolatry and sin. And so the ministry of death just is Paul just summarizing, this is the effect of the old covenant on the people of Israel who were so hard-hearted and failed to obey God's commands and God's covenant. And as a result, they died. So that, that's what this is, right? So the ministry of death, i.e. the old covenant whose effect on a hard-hearted people was death. So the ministry of death engraved in letters on stones, that came with glory. What kind of glory? We'll read the story, particularly the last paragraph of Exodus 34. Moses comes back down the mountain after going back up on Mount Sinai and with two new stone tablets and rewriting the covenant there on the stone tablets, so engraved in letters on stones, Moses comes back down the mountain. And when he comes down after spending all that time in God's glorious presence on the mountain, he now is shining. His face is shining. And so that's what happens. And so it says here uh, that the sons of Israel could not look intently on the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, which is a bad translation, frankly. The word katargeo in Greek doesn't mean fading. It never means fading. And Paul uses the word a lot, and we know what the word means. It means nullified, rendered powerless, or rendered inoperative, right? made void, uh, canceled out. It's like a check that's been canceled. It's like uh, something that no longer has any power or is no longer effective. The idea is, is that um, this is recalling this moment in the story where Moses puts a veil on it. And God, uh, Paul will mention the veil here in just a little bit. But the people of Israel in the story in Exodus 34 see Moses shining with the very glory of God and they're afraid. Why? Well, because God had said his presence can't go with them because he might wipe them out because they're so hard-hearted. Now here comes Moses down from the mountain shining with the glory of God and they're afraid. So Moses puts a veil on and in effect nullifies, cancels out the glory of his face. He covers it up. That's what's going on here. For our purposes and understanding verse 18, the effect of the veil was to 
be a barrier between the glory of God revealed in the face of Moses and the people because they could not handle looking at the glory of God. It brought too much fear to them. And so now their relationship with the glory of God mediated through Moses is veiled over. And that's the point here in context. Now, Paul goes on and continues to explain all of this, right? Uh, He says, if the ministry of condemnation, reference again to the old covenant, has glory, well, how much more does the ministry of righteousness excel in glory? That is, a ministry of condemnation, old covenant, ministry of righteousness, new covenant. If the ministry that brought death and condemnation had glory, how much more the ministry of the Spirit that brings life and righteousness surpasses, abounds in glory. And so he says, for if that which is covered over, nullified, translated again, fades away, but it's a bad translation. For if that which is covered over, voided out, canceled out, uh, had glory, much more that which remains, which is now here and evident and present, uh, has glory. Then he says this, drawing out the implication. So he's called to mind that Old Testament story in Exodus 32 through 34, particularly a little bit at the end of 34 with all of that. Now he says, let's draw out the implications for Paul's ministry. He's going to do it by comparing his ministry to Moses. So he says this, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Paul and his team, having such a hope. What's his hope here in context? It's the hope that there is greater glory in the ministry of the new covenant by the power of the Spirit than there was under the old covenant. It's that the glory of the new covenant is unveiled, whereas the glory of the old covenant was veiled. So having this incredible, confident expectation for the glory of the new covenant, we use boldness in our speech. And that word translated boldness there, one of the ways it was used in the ancient world was for freedom of speech, to be to speak freely and openly uh, and confidently, like just to be able to be free and frank in what is said. That's what this word translated boldness in our speech. That's one word in Greek, boldness in our speech, means that. It means to speak freely and openly. Uh, And Paul says, verse 13, and we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. Now he gets specific. So, When he recalled the story in verses 7 through 11, he never mentioned the veil. He just referred to the effect of the veil, canceling out the glory of God in the face of Moses. That's what the veil did. And so he's always referred to it in that way, uh, to the effect of the veil. But now here he mentions it. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. And so Paul and his team, they're open in their ministry. They're open uh, in mediating the glory of God to people. They're free in that regard. No veil over their face like Moses who put a veil over his face with the result that the sons of Israel could not gaze upon, could not stare at or continually look at the end, probably here meaning outcome or goal. The end goal of is the idea, the telos or the end goal of. So could not gaze upon the end goal of what was being nullified. The glory of God in the face of Moses was being covered over or nullified. That's the idea. So um, Moses put a veil over his face. The result was that the Israelites would, would no longer be able to stare at the glory of God in the face of Moses. And the reason is because they were afraid of it. It scared them. Read Exodus 34. You'll see that. Um, but 
their minds were hardened. That's the reason why. They did not want to see the glory of God. It brought too much fear to them. So Moses put a veil on, and the reason for that was because their hearts were hardened. So rather than um, wanting to enjoy the glory of God mediated through the face of Moses, they wanted a veil because they had hard hearts. Then Paul now fast forwards to his day from the days of Moses and the veil and the Israelites with hard hearts. Paul fast forwards to his day and says, guess what? The same thing still happens. Until this very day, Paul says, at the reading of the old covenant, what he's been talking about, the same veil remains unlifted because it's nullified, translated here, removed, but it's the same word that's been being translated fades away, which actually means nullified or canceled out. It's nullified in Christ. So, the veil that remained over people's hearts to keep them from hearing the gospel and replying, the veil that remains over their hearts to keep them from actually hearing the messianic message of the law of Moses in the old covenant, that veil is nullified and canceled out in Christ. Then Paul explains how that happens, verses 15 and 16. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. They have the same hard heart issue um, that the people in Moses's day had. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken out of the way. And so how is the veil nullified in Christ? Well, it's nullified when someone turns to the Lord, they look at Jesus, and as Paul will say in chapter 4, verse 6, and they see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And when they turn to the Lord and they see the glory of God in the face of Christ, boom, no more veil. Now they can actually enjoy the full glory and presence of God without a veil. And the veil is nullified. It's removed, taken out of the way. Then, Paul kind of almost as an aside, clarifies who the Lord was there in Exodus 32 through 34. He says, the Lord is the Spirit. When we're talking about which part of the Godhead, which member of the Godhead was present there during the Exodus, well, Paul says that was the Spirit that was present among them. And the reason he brings that up is because his is the ministry of the Spirit. So he wants to make sure we're clear on what he's talking about. And then he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that word freedom parallels the word boldness that he described his ministry with. There's freedom, like the freedom to speak openly and freely about God with an unveiled face, unlike Moses, just like Paul and his team does. They speak freely about that. But there's also the freedom to enter into the full presence and the glory of God, that the veil's been removed, and now we're free to have a face-to-face -face relationship with God, just like Moses did as he would go into the tabernacle and he would speak to God, remove the veil, and speak to God face-to-face. -face. Well, now there's that freedom for God's people in Christ because in Christ, no more veil. The veil's been canceled out and nullified. Well, now we get verse 18, and hopefully we can hear a little bit of the force of that. But we all, all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have turned to the Lord and looked at the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, we all with unveiled faces. Do you get why now he's saying that? Like, um, there is no veil between us and the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's been removed in Christ. The veil separating us from the, the beauty and the glory and the presence of God has been removed. And so there's no veil 
for us. So we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, that image is a little awkward only because Paul's trying to make a point. But normally when you look in a mirror, you see your own face. But in the ancient world, mirrors were few and far between. Most people never saw their face in a mirror. That was a rare gift, a rare opportunity. The wealthy had polished bronze mirrors that they might use, and Corinth was known for its polished bronze, and so it's apropos to Corinth. Uh, But it wasn't a common thing, right? And so the idea of looking in a mirror became kind of a picture of seeing something face-to-face, seeing something as it really was. And so that's the point Paul's making here, is that... Um, looking in a mirror means looking at something face to face. So now we get to look at the glory of the Lord like in a mirror, face to face. Um, which, uh, again, the people on, in Moses' days, the Israelites, they didn't want to look at the glory of the Lord. They wanted it covered over with a veil. But now in Christ, the veil is nullified and we get to gaze at the glory of the Lord face to face. And as a result of that, Verse 18 goes on to say, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. By gazing at the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image of glory. We're being transformed into the very image of Christ. And we do that by looking at and uh, gazing on continuously the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And, and as that happens now, the Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And that's the full force of verse 18. And so the point really in context of this whole unveiled faces um, and freedom and glory of the Lord and all that, the whole point of that is that we in Christ now get to have a face-to-face relationship with God. There's no veil. The veil that was the veil over Moses' face, the veil that was the veil in the tabernacle or the temple, all of that has been removed. And we in Christ get to gaze upon the glory of God in the face of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And Paul's point, obviously, in the argument of 2 Corinthians is that that's what gives him confidence in his ministry. That's what makes his ministry adequate. Uh, That's what makes his ministry so glorious and powerful is that it's promoting the glory of God in the face of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. But the implication too here in verse 18 at the end for all of us who walk with Jesus is that um, we are transformed by gazing upon the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we are transformed as we do that in concert with the Spirit. And the Spirit then changes us into the very same image and we become like Jesus from the inside out. What good news and what a beautiful picture that is as we now in Christ relate to God with unveiled faces, like Moses entering into the tabernacle unveiled face to face as Exodus 32 through 34 says, Moses talked to God face to face because he would take the veil off. Well, we get the same privilege now in Christ to actually enter into the glorious presence of God. Uh, No fear, uh, no condemnation, only life and righteousness and transformation by the power of the Spirit and praise God for that. So there you go. Some reflections on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, particularly verse 18, and the power of that for walking with Jesus. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Thanks to those of you who make this ministry possible by your faithful support. If you want to join the team of supporters, uh, The Bible and Life is a listener-supported show, and you can do that by going to johnwicker.net, clicking Give, and setting up a donation right there, one-time or recurring monthly donation. All gifts are received in partnership with World Family Mission, a registered nonprofit organization. So thanks a ton for your support. May God bless you as you walk with God and relate to Him face-to-face and enjoy the glorious presence of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. May God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.